1: That's D R S V O B O D A. Hello and welcome to the Living with Reality podcast. I'm Paula Crossfield, your host and Dr. Svoboda's media manager. This week on the podcast, we have a very special treat for you. Dr. Svoboda is in conversation with Scott Blossom, who is an acupuncturist and Ayurvedic practitioner and who teaches with Dr. Saboda about Ayurveda and the microbiome. And the conversation they're having today is about the oral microbiome. This conversation serves as a preview to the third in a series of courses that they've done on Ayurveda and the microbiome. These are very thorough looks at the importance of the microbiome from a scientific perspective, but also what we can do, a lot of them practices that come out of Ayurveda that can really help us to thrive. So we really hope you enjoy the content today. You can find out more about this course and other courses at drsabota.teachable.com. And if you'd like to learn more about this specific course, you can add a backslash oral microbiome to find out more. We hope you enjoy.
2: Namaste and greetings. It's a great pleasure to be here today with my friend and colleague, Dr. Scott Blossom, to talk about the microbiome. Um, the microbiome is extremely important. Happily its importance is becoming more and more a matter of awareness among not only scientists, but also ordinary people who want to be healthy. The microbiome is the population of the communities of the the interactions of all of the single celled organisms, bacteria, fungi, archaea, even viruses that live on and in the physical body. And as We are now learning the microbiome is an integral part of a living human body. It's it's really an organ in itself. And in February, Dr. Scott and I will be presenting our third in a series of teachings on the subject of the microbiome, particularly as it intersects with the subject of Ayurveda. And this third iteration that we'll be doing next month will be on the subject of the oral microbiome. And to give you a little bit of an overview about that, I'm going to turn the screen over to Dr. Scott um, for that purpose.
3: Great, thank you very much. And um, it's a pleasure to be here with you again. And yes, the subject of the microbiome is um, only becoming more relevant and more um, clearly a central aspect of understanding human health and longevity. And as we have delved into uh, what our first course was a more general overview, and then the second course was a deep dive into the gut-brain axis, um, it becomes clear that the systems thinking approach that was employed by Ayurvedic, um, the the thinkers and seers that were the progenitors of Ayurvedic medicine, that systems thinking mindset is precisely the kind of uh, truths that research on the microbiome is, is presenting. And in one way, you could say it very simply that everything is connected to everything else, but that those connections are not just simple, um, sort of one thing is uh, existing next to something else as much as there's very, very profound relational interactions that are happening, not only between the human and its microbiota, the collection of organisms that live in and on it, but also with your environment and then the choices that you're making around uh, what you, eat, what you, how you breathe, how you even speak and think, um, having a very profound um, potential for supporting uh, not only your human organism, but also the microbiota that live within you. And so in the case of the oral microbiome, um, the understanding that is really sort of, uh, I think, where you can see an intersection between Ayurveda and, my, and the current science of about the oral microbiome is uh, in that there's a great emphasis on oral health care in Ayurvedic medicine. Many of the daily practices that are recommended actually involve things that either clean the mouth or involve um, having herbs or foods that are recommended to eat to promote the health of the mouth. And just as the um, gut microbiome research is really starting to create a picture of how the gut microbiome affects us, our entire human uh, physiology and psychology, the oral microbiome in many ways is a gateway to that. And that's partly because the term in science is that there is concordance between the oral microbiome and the gut microbiome, which is to say that the, the oral microbiome is a kind of proxy for what you're going to find in your gut. And in some ways, it is the um, first uh, gateway or first interactive field within the body for developing a healthy microbiome. And so, as many of us know, um, having a healthy mouth is going to do important things like prevent cavities, prevent gum inflammation. It also, as we probably know, the mouth produces um, enzymes in the saliva that we uh, excrete when we're trying to chew or swallow food or drink. And basically the, Those kind of basic activities, I think, are well known. But what's coming out in the science around the oral microbiome and in general is that there is very profound uh, implications for farther reaching aspects of our health, like our cardiovascular health, our lung health, our brain health, and even even things that may seem very distant, like our um, sexual health. And so we're um, going to be going into those kinds of subjects with an eye both on the modern research and the Ayurvedic approach to, to understanding them as well as supporting them. Would you like to add any comments to that, Dr. S?
2: Well, I, th- I would, and I think what I would like to do is um, talk just a little bit about the, the so-called gut-lung axis. Um, and the mouth, of course, being part of the gut. Um, and there is, uh, a, 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 definite though very poorly understood so far connection between the lung and the colon and the lung and the mouth. And Ayurveda, of course, identifies, uh, very profoundly and substantially, uh, a link between the lung and the colon. In uh, chiefly in the from the perspective of how prana is taken into the body, prana is immediately nourished in the body through the lung by our breathing, and nourished in a delayed way, from the colon via the food that we eat from which the prana is extracted. So prana is being taken in from both places. Prana is also, of course, present in all living beings. And since there is the major part of the microbiome in the organism is in the colon, and there is a significant presence of microbes and microbial products in the lungs, even in healthy lungs, there is definitely going to be a connection there. And part of that, of course, will happen uh, via its connection to the mouth since uh, breathing, both breathing and swallowing happens through the mouth. So, One of the things that we're going to be examining during this uh, oral microbiome course will be the connections that we can find not only between the, the the oral microbiome itself, but the way that the organs and the microbiomes that they host interact with one another. The lung and the colon developed from the same embryological source, from the endoderm, and they have many similarities, but they also have several differences. And one big difference from the point of view of the microbiome is that there is a generally stable microbiome in the colon, and in the lung, there is not normally a resident population of single-celled organisms it's more of a transient population bacteria and archaea and other uh, substances and organisms that come and go but don't necessarily create a, a a resident community there what does happen and of course this is the case and in, in many people who have uh pathologies in the lung, what does happen is that when there is an infection in the respiratory tract, that's the time that a resident population of bacteria tend to get created. And then, of course, there will be an interaction between that temporary microbiome and the other microbiome's in the organism. So at that point, there will be interactions uh, involving not just the physiology of the organism, but also the immune response of that organism to the disease process, whatever it happens to be. This is something that is only now being evaluated carefully. It's very little of it is understood. But what we have seen so far is that up to 50%, up to half of adults that have irritable bowel disease and as many as a third of the people who have just even irritable bowel syndrome, also have some kind of disturbance in their lungs. It might be inflammation, it might be some impairment of lung function, even if those patients don't have any history of respiratory disease. So once the colon gets disturbed, that disturbs the lung. In Ayurveda, we say that the reason for this is If the colon is disturbed, you're not taking in enough prana from the colon, and that puts stress on the lung to try to take in more prana. And here is the place where, yet again, we have to emphasize the importance of breathing abdominally, both because it helps to exercise the colon, to get things to move within it properly, and also because taking in breath deeply and slowly and regularly ensures that the lung tissue will be as relaxed as possible and will, we will be taking in the maximum amount of prana through the lung as possible. Other relations also have been identified. Patients with COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, are two to three times more likely to be diagnosed with irritable bowel disorder. People who have asthma are also very likely to have functional disturbances and alterations in their intestines, as are often people with COPD. Taking antibiotics early in life that affect the microbiome in the gut often, very often, encourage the development of allergic airway disease. All of these connections are now being identified but they're not always easy to understand. For example, infection with H. pylori, which produces ulcers in many people, decreases the incidence of asthma and allergy, but increases the incidence of COPD and other chronic bronchial diseases. So that same... Bacteria that is not a normal constituent of the stomach may encourage positive results in one area of the pulmonary uh, experience, the pulmonary tree, but it may discourage positive results in another context. So, there is a lot that we can that we do know and that we can we can present but there is a lot that still remains to be understood about the lung and the microbiome and this of course is even more true about the relation between the microbiome and the cardiovascular system and i'm going to go back to dr scott to request him to proceed ahead in that context
3: yeah, thank you. the uh, the It's really fascinating how, in both traditional Chinese medicine and in Ayurveda, the lung and the large intestine were associated from the you know beginning of the articulation of those theories of health and longevity. And so, uh, you know, to take your cue and move into the cardiovascular system, I'm going to start with. You know, something is a, a way in to kind of start with the mouth and then continue that way, which is one of the most basic pieces of science that's really established about how to have a healthy mouth to prevent things like, um, t- you know, sensitivity in the mouth, gum inflammation, cavities, infection, is to um, consume a diet. Um, and consume the diet in a kind of rhythm and manner that doesn't uh, make the mouth too acidic. And so the when the mouth becomes too acidic, it actually promotes an environment where some of the pathogenic microbes are able to breach, the kind of uh, bulwark that's created by the commensal microbes. The ones, the commensal ones are neutral and positive. You could call them uh, probiotic and biotic organisms, but these pathogenic uh, organisms only really get their capacity to create havoc inside of your mouth. And that—that that is not actually limited to the mouth because certain kinds of infection um, can, uh, definitely influence the lungs the heart the whole body Um, but basically we know that keeping the ph within a certain range the acidic quality of the mouth within a certain range is very very important and so um, two of the things for example that ayurveda recommends that's that's probably well known to most of you who are going to be watching this is that It can be useful to choose something like fennel and or cardamom seeds after a meal. And it's also encouraged that people take time between meals, space their meals out so that they're not constantly grazing through the day or constantly sipping on sweetened drinks or something that has a sugary content um, or an alcoholic content or even a carbonated content actually. Um, and this is partly because, uh, in the case of the fennel and cardamom, there's actually some research that has finally been done to show that you actually get a, a reduction in the acidic quality inside of the mouth by chewing those seeds. They have that effect. So they're going to, that's going to have not only the effect to, um, keep the pathogenic bacteria in check it also has an effect on protecting your enamel and protecting the mineralization of your teeth and also protecting your teeth from cavities and so uh, the second point that i was making there that i think is useful is that also the idea about spacing meals is not just so that the digestive tract has a ten, has a chance to rest which is very important because there's aspects of the digestive tract that require rest and require a kind of quiescence to do their work it's but it's also that if you take time between meals that also allows the pH, the acidity in the mouth to balance itself out in a way that's conducive to, especially if somebody's going to be sipping water or non sweetened beverages, something like herbal teas, something like that, between meals. It's a way to, you know, maintain a healthy pH balance in the mouth, which has this this entire systemic influence, and particularly in the context of the cardiovascular system. And so there's a recent study that that came out about uh, footballers in Europe, so soccer players for all the Americans. Um, in Europe, where they were able to study and show that the health of the microbiome actually has an impact on the benefit of cardiovascular exercise. And so, yes, they were using professional athletes who are doing very vigorous cardiovascular exercise. But of course we all know that cardiovascular exercise benefits people and is a really critical component, not only of physical fitness, but cardiovascular health, mental, emotional health, actually your gut microbiome um, balance is, is encouraged when somebody is getting regular cardiovascular exercise. Exercise, but what they found was that because these professionals tended to be, you know, you can imagine the environment they're in is they're they're in a situation where there's lots of these energy drinks and sport products around them, and there the lot of them are having this dual situation where they're becoming dehydrated because they'll play long periods of time where they're breathing really heavily and that dries out the tissues in the mouth as well as their body. But then in between, they'll be having um, Gatorade or they'll be having an, a sports drink of some kind that's usually sweetened. And each time that you do that, it actually it actually feeds the microbes in a way that temporarily increases the acidity of the mouth. And then will start to create, actually in the case of these footballers, um, dental problems that are the same or worse than the general population and that the secondary effect is that they're not actually processing some of the beneficial foods that the trainers and, you know, people who are trying to keep them at their peak performance levels would be encouraging um, foods that you know would support healthy lungs and cardiovascular function, for example. And this is, and, and this was the really key discovery is that they found out that it, it had something to do with this group having suboptimal oral microbiome um, composition as well as just oral care partly because of the culture that they're in and the way that they have to live their lives as professional athletes um, who eat and drink in a particular way, and then also do a lot of very intense uh, physical exercise. So um, this is, you know, I wanted to use an example to try to point this out. But we'll be going much more in depth because because Ayurveda is ingenious in all the ways that it supports the cardiovascular system in indirect ways. You know, cardiovascular exercise is a very direct example, but there's a two-way street here. If you support the cardiovascular system and you're supporting the oral microbiome, they mutually support each other and it can also inf- influence things as, uh, as distant as sexual function. And I think um, Dr. Sabota has uh, some interesting comments to make about that because sexual function is essentially an extension of good cardiovascular health.
2: Indeed it is. And it has been shown That the health of the teeth and in particular the gums that support the teeth the health of the teeth and gums is directly connected to the potential for what is called in modern medicine ED Erectile Dysfunction and this Erectile Dysfunction has three common paths by which it can affect a man, the main one being inflammation. And this happens to people, to men who have periodontal disease. Perio means around, dental means dental, meaning the teeth. So around the teeth are the gums. And when the gums are inflamed, they are inflamed because abnormal bacteria, bacteria that either do not belong in the mouth at all, or do not belong at that place on the tooth, because the oral microbiome is certainly not as large in the number of members as is the gut microbiome, but the oral microbiome is very, very specific. In fact, you can have a colony of bacteria on one side of a tooth that is different from the colony of bacteria on the other side of the tooth. So there is still a a very strong community of bacteria. They're all interacting with one another, but they they have their own turf and they're very specific (laughs) about that turf. The problem happens when there is an imbalance a dysbiosis and when that happens then bacteria that promote inflammation tend to get into spaces in the mouth particularly where there are pockets where the 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 gum has come away a little bit from the tooth and those abnormal bacteria can get into those pockets they can grow and that creates inflammation. The gum becomes inflamed and sometimes it can erode into the, uh, the bone, into the tooth itself. So that inflammation is the first problem when it comes to uh, the causation of uh, ED because chronic inflammation anywhere in the body tends to cause blood vessels in the body to become thicker, narrower, scarred, and weaker. So inflammation in the mouth tends to promote inflammation in other parts of the body because, well, in particular for two reasons. Number one, in general, everything that happens in the mouth the organism is paying close attention to because we put food into the mouth and we need to know a lot about the food before it goes down and gets absorbed in the gut. So there's a lot of attention is being paid to what's going on in the mouth. If it's inflamed, that means the organism is aware that there is inflammation and that awareness can, will at the very least, not discourage inflammation elsewhere. The other reality is that the Bacteria that are in the mouth that are pathogenic, that are creating this inflammation, can get into the bloodstream via the blood vessels around in the gum, when the gum is when that tissue starts to become not very not as as vigorous, not as viable as it was before. So if that bacteria, those bacteria get into the bloodstream, then they can go to other parts of the body and create inflammation there as well. So inflammation in the organism in general, and inflammation in the blood in the blood vessels in general, and particular inflammation in the blood vessels uh, in the genital region, will restrict the blood flow. And of course, it's blood flow that creates an. erection in the first place. And since the blood vessels in the male organ tend to, to be smaller than some of the other bigger blood vessels in the body, it's easier for them to be narrowed and to prevent sufficient blood from getting into the penis to create an erection. The second way that there can be a problem generated originating in the mouth but affecting the genitals is via generalized damage to the cardiovascular system that's what these bacteria that do when they get into the bloodstream the possibly the worst thing that can happen is infective endocarditis which means the bacteria sometimes can get into the heart and create an infection there that's a very bad thing But just in general, people people who suffer from gum disease are twice as likely to develop coronary artery disease, and they are more likely to have a stroke. So in general, when your gums are inflamed, your entire cardiovascular system suffers. And third, diabetes. Periodontal disease can trigger diabetes diabetic patients are more likely to develop periodontal disease. And of course, this brings us back to this awareness that Dr. Scott was just talking about of the fact that when you were taking in sugary drinks all day long, even if you're not a football player for FC Barcelona, even if you're just a normal person and you have gone to the, to your convenience store and got a 72-ounce Big Gulp that you're driving around with all day long, that means you're taking in acids and you're taking in sweets all day long. And your system, remember, your your sensory apparatus is always paying attention to your mouth. It's taking in that information, the sweets, the acids, the sweets, the acids all the time. And this is having a negative effect on the ability of your insulin in your body to do its job and in general of your body to maintain a healthy level of blood sugar in your organism all day long. So there are th- these are just these are just some very simple examples of number 1 how important the oral microbiome is, how much it interacts with the uh, the other parts of the organism and how we are only at the beginning of understanding all of the interactions that exist here. So on that note, uh, I believe Dr. Scott will join me in requesting all of you to come and attend the course next month. And I would also like to encourage everyone to have a very happy, healthy, and productive New Year particularly because it's while one can imagine that this year could be even worse than last year was, it's uh, somewhat difficult to do so. So Dr. Scott, I look forward to seeing you next month and everybody out there, Happy New Year.
3: Thank you. Happy New Year to everybody.